Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Good afternoon again. Um, If we hadn't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Taylor Leachman. Although, if we have had a chance to meet, my name is Taylor Leachman, too. Um, But uh, it's good uh, to be here with you all. We are, um, uh, this summer, going through a sermon series on Proverbs and on wisdom. And um, by way of kind of introducing it, we're calling this uh, Wisdom for the Way. And, uh, and so uh, one of the ways I've thought about trying to illustrate what we mean when we're talking about the way and why we need wisdom for it is how many of y'all know the song Fast Car, right? How many of y'all prefer the Tracy Chapman version, right? It makes everyone raise your hands, right? It was way better. Um, uh, well, it, you know, as there's new uh, versions that keep coming out each and every week, I, I, I still think, obviously, the Tracy Chapman version is the best. Um, but I actually, what I love about it is, is the lyrics themselves. Um, I don't know how much y'all have paid attention to the lyrics. It's, it's a song about a daughter who grows up with an alcoholic father, right? And he's spiraling down and down and taking everything with them, uh, right? It, it, one of the, the lines of the song is, his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like his, right? Um, he is drinking so much that he's beginning uh, to age at a much more rapid pace. Um, he isn't paying for anything, and probably all indications are that any extra money that they have is getting used toward his alcoholism. So what's the resolution of the problem? Well, the song says in the chorus line, we've got to make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. Here's the point. It's a song about a journey, right? The path that Tracy Chapman finds herself on was the path of destruction, right? She was along for that ride no matter what, and it was going to take her down. And she didn't know what the other path was, but she knew one path led to death and another path had possibility of life, right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about the wisdom of the way, What way are we going to go? What journey are we on? Because though many of us have been on a path like the path of the Father, right, where we've begun to recognize that the path we're on is going to lead to death and destruction, perhaps some of us are on a path where we don't really, we have yet to recognize the the challenge or, um, or the death that it will await us. But unlike the protagonist of the song, we actually do know that there is another path that brings life, right? Um, and that is what our scripture lesson and that's what our sermon series is about. It is about that path, the path that leads to life. And so as we evaluate our wisdom for the way, tonight we want to talk about the foolishness of the sin of envy, um, and so to do that, we're going to look at a few different passages, not just one. Um, and so if you all, uh, they're printed here in our bulletin, um, or if you have a Bible, you can turn along with me. Um, but we're going to open to Proverbs 14, uh, 23, and then seven, Psalm 73 as well. Would you all read with me? Proverbs fourteen thirty. 
A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs twenty three seventeen to 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Psalm 73, 1 through 3 and 20 to 26. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Excuse me. Father, we pray as we um, look at these passages together and as we look at our hearts and look back toward you, Father, that you would enliven us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, Father, but may we ultimately have eyes to see you, our heart and our portion forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I didn't really um, notice it much. I remember the very first time I went to spend the night at someone else's home was the first time I walked into a home and I smelled it and I wondered, this, this house has a smell. Does my house have a smell? right? Uh, Oftentimes, we don't smell our own homes. We think our homes have no particular smell, but of course, they all do, but we don't smell it because we're in it all of the time. And I think that that's a lot how envy is to us. Envy is not a sin that our culture thinks, oh, that's a bad smell. In fact, it's one of them that uh, that is really not considered all that bad to begin with. Um, But in a book uh, called The Seven Deadly Sins Today, the author Henry Fairley says, and he said this almost 50 years ago, that the collective sin of envy was the corrupter of democracy. Um, and, and here was his point. He saw that in a society where people govern one another, right, envy, and particularly envy uh, that is not dealt with and rooted out, begins to undermine the political process. Okay, cool. What is envy, though? Right? Envy is not ambition, which can serve as a positive motivator. Right? It's not wanting to achieve what someone else did. Right? It's not seeing someone else's surgical prowess and thinking, you know what? I'm going to work really hard to become a great surgeon like that. No, it's not seeing someone else, uh, another person's excellence in whatever field and being motivated to pursue that excellence ourselves. That is ambition, and it's positive. Envy is something different. It's something much more insidious. Thomas Aquinas, the 14th century theologian, said that envy is seeing someone else's happiness and feeling ourselves called into question. It's that cancerous feeling when someone else gets something and you think, what about me? Or I can do that. 
probably better than they can. Why don't these other people see the fraud that that person is, right? It's that selfishness that goes one step further to seeing someone else's good and grieving it. Man, I wish so-and-so hadn't gotten that promotion. Or I hate that she got published in that prestigious journal. Or why did she get voted homecoming queen? I was by far the better candidate, right? Or something along those lines, right? Um, a famous biblical story that illustrates the sin of envy comes from 1 Kings chapter 3, right? Where Solomon demonstrates his wisdom as he judges between two mothers. The story is one where two prostitutes have given birth to a son within a few days of one another. One of them loses their son in the middle of the night. She rolls on top of him, seemingly suffocating him in the night. He dies. And in her selfishness and probably also her regret uh, that begins to consume her, she decides to play a trick. She's going to swip, swap the babies. Um, so she hands the dead, her dead child to the other mother and takes the alive child for herself. And so now a conundrum comes because it's a, he, it's a she said, she said situation. Who is the mother of the alive child and who is the mother of the dead child? So they go to King Solomon to figure it out. And Solomon in his wisdom says, bring me a sword and let's divide the child that each of you can have half of it. And so one mother says, no, give her the child so that she can live. While the other says, you know, essentially, great idea, right? He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And it's from that that Solomon is able to figure out who the true mother is, right? The one who loves the son enough to let him live, even if it's not with her. I see the mother who lost her son in the night gave herself away in that circumstance by her envy. She lost something, and so she was unhappy, and she couldn't stand to see the other mother's happiness. So she would rather see both of them lose a child than to bear the weight of her own unhappiness. That's envy. Right? And this may sound a little bit too wicked, uh, to be applicable to us. Right? We're not wanting to bring out swords. We're not wanting to divide children at our level of envy. But that same root cause is at work within our own hearts. Right? So envy is not just wanting what someone else has. In essence, it is the sense and that feeling that your life would be happier if other people were not so happy. Right? Um, your life will be happier if other people didn't succeed where you failed. And so it's that understanding of envy that the author, Henry Fairley, in his book, The Seven Deadly Sins Today, what he was trying to get at when he says this is what undermines democracy. It's what undermines our ability to actually govern one another. Um, because we begin to take revenge on others for our own failures. One way that this has kind of become popular even right now is um, you know, the way in which math curriculums are being fought about within our democratic structure. Right? If we struggle particularly with math, then let's change what math means. Let's redefine the entire thing so that now no one is good at math, essentially. Right? Um, or you know, one way that we all participate in it, and according to his, uh, his way of thinking, is that, you know, I'm paying too much for taxes, 
And, you know, yeah, it'd be cool if we all weren't paying as much, but I'm probably just as happy if everyone else paid as much as I do too, right? Um, It's our envy of what others have that skews our ability to make good and fair judgments. And it's our shared temptation and disposition toward envy that makes that statement that we cannot self-govern well at all when we're struggling with the sin of envy, when we're not even recognizing the stench that is in our own backyard of envy. Um, So tonight, I want to talk about the folly of envy. I want to talk about two parts of it, actually three parts of it. The origin of envy, right? Where does it come from in our hearts? The outflow of envy, right? What are the natural consequences of our envy? And then ultimately the overthrow of envy. How is it dealt with? So let's first talk about the origin of envy. Um, And so to put it simply, envy originates in our hearts with the first sin of Adam and Eve, right? It's that desire that they talk about in in Genesis 2 and 3 to know good and evil. Or one way in which some translators like to say it is to be able to judge good and evil, right? So envy in its original, uh, in its origin is a judgment, right? It's a comparison, Rather than trusting that the Lord would distribute his gifts, graces, uh, and the like out to us as he sees fit, we believe that we would and, and could do better than he would. Right? It's not fair that she's so pretty and smart and a good dancer and everyone likes her and you know, right, so on and so forth. And when we meet those types of people, we feel threatened. It's not fair, God, that you gave her all of that and yet... I am this, you know, whatever this might be. When we perceive what we think is injustice, we want to immediately assume the role of boss and judge. After we remove God from that justice bench and we place ourselves there, envy is always a judgment between you and someone or or someone's else. It's a judgment between one person and another. A judgment that says, I should have what you have. Or maybe what's even worse, you should not have what I also do not have, right? Psalm 73 illustrates the point really well. The psalmist sees the prosperity of the wicked neighbors of Israel. He sees that they have a lot of good stuff in their lives. He's counting it all up. He also sees their immoral behavior and their immoral character and what likely stems from an immoral heart, right? Now he wants to make the judgment. Those wicked neighbors should not have all that good stuff that they have. Right? Their stuff should reflect their wickedness. So they should be destitute and barren. We are the ones who should have all of the good stuff. After all, God, we are your people. You say that you love us. And now here is where it gets tricky because a desire for justice isn't wrong. A recognition that something is wrong with the picture that, you know, cheaters shouldn't prosper, right? Uh, um, uh, The the, the fact that cheaters do prosper um, isn't the sin of envy. That desire for justice is fine. It's good and it's right. But envy is a poisoning of the idea of justice. It's not just saying that it is wrong that cheaters win, but it it is a desire for inequitable retribution for that, 
right? Or it's wanting to degrade our own morality so that we too can prosper by becoming cheaters and therefore winning. The psalmist says that to make those types of judgments is to become brutish and ignorant, acting like the beasts. And that is what we are when we are envious. So what happens when we're envious? What is the natural outflow? Well, two things. It's hatred of others and it's hatred of God. So in hatred of others, how how does this actually work itself out? Um, In his book on vocation and calling, the author Oz Guinness uh, wrote a book called The Call. Um, He's a public theologian in the Washington, D.C. area. And he notes that envy is typically the strongest for us um, where our sense of self-worth actually comes from. So that can be in our work, uh, where we envy those who've advanced further and faster than us. Um, It could be in our hobbies, right, in the things that we love the most, right? Maybe uh, you've been practicing golf a ton, and yet you're always losing to somebody who just shows up on the course or something along those lines, right? It can be in our hobbies, Um, Maybe it's in just our life circumstances. Someone else's kids are better behaved in public, and we can be envious of those sorts of things. Right? If we care deeply about something, right, it becomes earth-shattering when we find out that someone else has been gifted in those areas and maybe even better than us. We can't help but compare ourselves to them. Or to say it another way, kind of from the negative point of view, is... Um, we're typically not that envious of people who have it good in areas that we don't really care about, right? Uh, If sports aren't really your thing, then it would hardly disturb you that someone else is a better athlete, right? Um, Or if you're in finance, uh, you wouldn't be bothered that Joe Smith is a better physical therapist than you are. Um, No, it it grows. Our envy is often when we notice that someone else is better or has it better in an area that really most concerns us, where we most get our identity from. And so it's in those moments that we assume the justice bench to try and to make it all about ourselves and to make it all make sense. And in our hatred of others uh, with whom we find ourselves in competition, we will bring that kind of vigilante justice. Most often, we don't end up going that like physical, uh, you know, to physical sin like was, was happening with Solomon and the sword there. Most often, it's within our hearts, but it can outflow from there to maybe reputational sin where we gossip about other people. That's typically what we most do with our envy. Have you heard? Have you heard that the only reason that they have as much money as that they do is that they have like a terrible marriage and they're never involved with their lives or their kids? Right? We try and tell those types of stories. That's the only reason that they have what I want is because they also have this other stuff and we bring them down. And we don't just do that with the positive, you know, with sort of those types of uh, of greedy. Um, sins, we can, we can trick ourselves perhaps even more within the context of the church. Well, we'll gossip about other churches that we think have it too good, right? I, I know that they have a lot of people that go there to that church, but the only reason they get a lot of people that go there is because like, they water down the biblical teaching and they don't really teach the gospel. If they did, they wouldn't have as many people there, right? 
Those are the types of things that we say rather than rejoicing in the fact that the Lord is at work and people are coming to know Jesus. In our hatred of others, we will daydream about them losing their gifting in addition to already trying to, um, to gossip about them. And when we dwell on these things over time and we dwell on them more and more and more, that misplaced justice will spiral. And it will actually, it can lead to a place where we make a decision just like the prostitute did in 1 Kings chapter 3. So it's not just hatred of others, though. It is also hatred of God, right? Because the problem with envy and the envy game that leads us to hate those that we're envious of is that our hatred is never just against one another. It is always directed toward the one who gives all things, And our belief that someone shouldn't have been given the gifts or awards or achievements, we're essentially saying that we can determine what is right and wrong better than God can. We're essentially saying, are you blind, God? Like, ref, what's wrong with you? You're doing a terrible job. Let me have a turn. Get out of the seat, God. I can do better. It's back to Genesis 3, the first sin when Adam and Eve believed the serpent's lie that God was withholding good things from them. And so their solution was to become like him, right? If they did so, then they would be happy and free and and then they wouldn't need the Lord anymore. And see, that's how it leads down that path of destruction to destruction and death. And so where... That was amazing. (laughs) Uh, That's right. I'm excited to go where we're going here. So where does peace come from? Let's get a little woo uh, from there. Um, If envy makes our bones rot and it slowly kills us, then how do we get that tranquility and peace that Proverbs 14 is talking about? Since the fourth century, uh, envy has been classified as one of the seven deadly sins. Right? And, and the church also taught at that time that there are these seven corresponding virtues. Um, and so each sin had a corresponding virtue along with it. And so the, in, the, the sin of envy uh, had the gift of charity. Uh, that was the virtue that you were supposed to put on. Um, so rather than wanting another to fail, charity is wanting to see another built up. Right? It's wanting to see the best in them and Uh, and seeing the actual best in them and wanting the best for them. And so is the answer to my struggle with envy just to do more charitable things, to pray more for them or or to give more away? And and that's not the worst idea, right? That that is an answer. Um, Because all... uh, But, 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 uh, sorry, that is an answer, but it's not the answer because all that kind of charity does is is cover over our envy that's still there to begin with. Um, It's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a broken limb. It's not the worst idea, but it's not really going to help out that much. The answer comes when we stop trusting in our own judgments and we begin trusting in God's. When we learn what he has done for us and will do for us. When we're reminded of the fact that the Lord causes it to rain on the wicked and the righteous alike. And you know what? In that scenario, it is still raining for me and my crops are going to grow. So what difference does it make if it rains on someone else too? Our healing from envy comes when we pay attention to what God has done and and is promising 
to do. Um, I, I don't remember exactly when we decided we were going to do this, but at some point in our parenting journey a while ago, we decided that when our kids turned 12, they were going to get to go on a special trip. They get to pick where they get to go, and, uh, and um, either Juliana or I was going to take them on this trip. We happen to have only girls, so Juliana's the one who's taking them all on this trip. Um, and so this year, our oldest daughter, Amelia, is turning 12, and so she's chosen that she wants to go to London. I'm sure she's told all of you all about it already, um, and it's going to be great. Um, but what's been amazing about this process has been how little our little girls have been upset by it. They aren't that envious right now. In fact, they're happy for Amelia. They aren't envious of what she gets to do. They aren't jealous to hear her talking about planning to go to the opening match for Arsenal in London or uh, the fact that she's going to go to Buckingham Palace. And the reason they aren't envious is because they know that in the future, they will get to go and do all of the same things. Right? They know that their future is secure. They're trusting that their parents are going to make good on that promise and that their future is going to be great too. And that's true for us as well. Proverbs 23 reminds us to pay attention to that great future. It says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. And Psalm 73 reminds us that God has given us everything. He's given us the most valuable of things. He's given us himself. He is our portion. He is our heart. So how is sin overthrown? What is the antidote to the corrupting sin of envy? It's love. It's the love of our God. Thomas Chalmers, uh, who's an 18th century Scottish pastor, wrote a book, I think with maybe one of the greatest titles uh, in the history of all books, because you, you kind of don't even need to read the book. The title is so good itself. Um, it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Um, his point is this, is that most often when we're dealing with sin, we try, we, tr- we try to get that sin and root that sin out of our life, much like we try to de-weed a garden. We, we find the weeds, we, we get them low, we try and pull them up, and we put them all in a pile, burn them or whatever we do with our weeds, right? And then what happens? A week later, they're there again. We have to do the same thing over and over and over again. The problem is that no matter how many sins we think we pluck up, there are always more growing. And Chalmers says that that way of dealing with it is incredibly ineffective. Instead, he says that we deal with sin by focusing on a new love. Sort of kind of kill the gardening metaphor to death. <laughs> uh, if you have St. Augustine grass, um, when I first uh, had a home that, that had St. Augustine grass, I would go and try and pick up the, the different weeds within the grass itself, realizing, not realizing just how ridiculous that is and much of a time waste it was. Because all I needed to do, St. Augustine grass is so powerful, is just give it more sunlight and water it more. Because ultimately what's going to happen is that grass is going to choke out the weeds. The St. Augustine grass is so strong that it continues to grow stronger than the weeds can grow. And ultimately, it chokes them to death. That's the way that God... That's right. That's the way that God deals with our sin. (laughs) Um... 
In Christ, he shows, he shows us a love that is so strong and so powerful that the weed of envy cannot help but be choked out. Um, in Christ, God's mercy and grace toward you and me is so incredible that we stop worrying about who has more and who has it better because what we have from Christ is so amazing. In him, we have the immense love of God that says, no matter what you have thought about me, no matter how much of a rebel you have been to me, I love you enough that I sent my son to take you from being a former rebel and to now make you my sons and daughters. And so stop worrying about who's the better golfer, right? The, who makes the better grades, who has more money, because in my family, you will inherit the earth. That's what he's saying, right? In essence, it's like, it's almost like worrying about who has more Skittles when you don't realize that the Lord God has given you the entire candy shop, right? What difference does any of that make? That is his love for us. That is the expulsive power of a new affection from the Lord. God is our strength and our portion forever. He gives us himself. And as we focus upon that, that drives out the sin of envy. Would you all pray with me that that would be so? Father, we are grateful um, for the love that Christ has for us. And we are grateful, Lord, that um, as we pay more and more attention to him, that the power of your love and your grace begins to expel the sins that we have within our heart. And so I pray, Father, that we would turn our hearts toward you, the path that leads to life. Father, may we find uh, the envy within us, but Lord, may we not focus solely upon it. May we focus upon Jesus Christ, the one in whom you promised to give us all good things that you've promised and you have made us your children as we place our faith in him. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.